sure if it's me or because I have three boys or because I had a dog that was too big for the backyard or because I have three huge shade trees or because perhaps Carol and I have the thumb of death. I'm not sure which it is, but no matter what I do, I cannot grow grass in my yard. And if you've been here for a while, you know I've used this. Maybe the Lord just does this so I have a sermon analogy because I've used this for years. I resotted the whole thing. I, I, it's the whole one quarter of the whole backyard. I just resotted it. Still nothing. Now, just imagine for a second that you went to school for, for four years, got your undergraduate degree in grass seedology, and then you went and got a master's in. What? Scottiology, Scott's Lawn Company, or what would you say, turf management, whatever. And you're a, you're, a, you're a grass seed growth expert. And you have spent time developing a seed that you're going to call, and I was going to make a PowerPoint slide, but uh, I didn't have enough time. I know I only work one hour a week, but, but uh, <clears throat> it was going to be called, gra- or it's going to be called, this stuff is so good, it'll even grow in the trichler's backyard grass seed <laughs> itself. And you work on a little five foot by five foot plot, and you're trying different things, different, different uh, uh, species of seed, and you mix them together a little bit here and there, and you create new, you cr- cross, what do they do? What's that called? Pollinate, thank you. you. You do that with the whole thing, and you work for years on this thing. You spend 90 hours a week working on grass seed. 90 hours. You work for five years. And at the end of that time, finally in your little five foot by five foot plot, whew, you got grass seed that'll grow if there's a golden retriever and ten boys. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't need any sun. It grow in the metrodome. <laughs> you got it figured out. It's awesome. You've spent all that time, all that money. And so what do you do after the end of that? You say, oh, well, that's cool. Got that figured out. Guess I'll move on to something else. Maybe, maybe I'll make ice cream so that when you take a bite of it, you don't get that brain freeze thing. No, 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 no. When you do that, when you get done making it so it works in the five-foot-by-five-foot plot, you market it. You get your name out there. You, it's Jim's Grass Seed. And it sells, and you, you do whatever you can to spread the grass seed. Huh? I like it. Spread the grass seed. You try to sell it to companies, or you create your own new company, or whatever you can do. You have spent a significant amount of time, and you now are out there marketing, and you're reaping the benefit of that. We're in a series right now called The Church on Fire, a study of the book of Acts. We've been looking at the book of Acts and, and, and looking at it, saying, how did the church get so excited about the Lord and so excited about what's going on there that from 120 people, this thing just went, just spread all over the place. A church on fire, our church, for instance, if our church was on fire, it's not the church on fire. It's actually a series of individuals that are on fire. It's a bunch of people who've taken the time to really understand what God's doing and try to pray and seek him and read his word and get to know him better no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey if you've come to a point then you you trust Christ 
and then later you keep going on, and you come to a point where you just, you just want to live for them all the time. You come to that point where it's an indiv- you're an individual and you're on fire. That's what a church on fire is. It's not like, oh, my church is real exciting. Well, it is if it's filled with a group of people that are excited. We got a person like that in this church. We got a few people like that in this church. Tonight we're going to commission someone, and she's going to spend a year in Peru. And uh, we got this. She's going with the Evangelical Free Church of America, and we've commissioned a lot of people to go do different works, but no one's ever sent us a certificate before. They're actually giving her a certificate. I shouldn't have told her that because now I'm keeping it. It's so cool, but. But it just says we've this big commissioning that Hope Community Church has commissioned you and you're going to Peru. And I think that's really cool. I mean, that's a cool thing. But I made her another one. This is a certificate of being on fire. Yeah. yeah. And it says, we hereby present Angie Hoagland with this certificate of, a, of, of being on fire in recognition of your being on fire for Jesus. <laughs> and also... To give full permission to blaze for him in Peru. <laughs> Awarded this day, this month, and everything. Angie, why don't you come forward to receive your certificate? <clears throat> this is just a rough draft. I couldn't get it to print right, so I'll have to get you a better one. Yeah, I'll frame it. Yeah, it's yeah, all, yeah, <laughs> Angie is going to spend a year in Peru. Tonight is her big deal, but I just wanted her to get in front of everyone and uh, to have the opportunity that we could pray for her as a, as a large group. I know that everyone's not going to make it back tonight, but, but do, just to be able to be part of the, the laying on of hands of, of, of Angie. In Acts chapter 13, there was a scene where Paul and Barnabas were to be set off and to go and do something, and the church came, and after they had heard that, they put their hands on them and prayed for them, and then they set them off for the work they're about to do. And so I know it's, it's unfeasible, infeasible? Yeah, un, for 400 people to come and, and, and lean on Angie to do that. But what I'd like you to do, I'm going to pray for Angie, and uh, Angie, I want you to pray with your eyes open. And if, if, if it's all right with you, just extend your hand as if you were, just extend it forward as if just to show your sign of support that we're all in this together. So let me pray for Angie, and we'll, we'll commission her tonight, but I wanted to pray for her. God, we come before you now with one of our people who's going to spend at least a year away from us and we put her, we dedicate her to God too. And Lord, we ask that you'd be with her, God, that you would um, keep her safe in her travels but make her dangerous for you. Reading the Apostle Paul and all that he did with uh, the things that were going on in his ministry, God, You're still just as active and alive today as you were then. Do that with Angie. God, would you cause miracles to happen? Just amazing things to happen where you're there working through Angie. Lord, I pray you'd bring her to the exact right people, people who even now want to know about Jesus. And I pray you'd bring her to those people. God, would you, like uh, John Wesley says, God, would you have her be put on fire so that people from miles around would come and see her burn? Would you just do that in her life, Lord Jesus? Make her 
a person who is after you in every way, shape, or or, uh, form. God, I pray that you would spread grass seed all over the place in Peru. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue on in our book of Acts series. So if you have your Bible with you, you can open it up to Acts chapter 16. We are now at the point of the book where if you blink or if you're gone for a few weeks, you might be a chapter, half a chapter behind. We are going to be motivating through the rest of this book. Uh, And it actually is planned out here. We, We will be through the book by the end of July. Acts chapter 16. Um, What we're going to see today is the establishment of the church at Philippi. And I don't know about you, but that that gives me some excitement. This is is the best passage on what happens at Philippi anywhere. Uh, About a year after I had made a commitment to be a follower of Christ, I, I studied the book of Philippians, and it changed my life. The book of Philippians is a great book. If you don't know anything about the Bible, you can go to the book of Philippians, and it's it's just awesome. It's just a great book to start in. And that's what happened to me. When I was young in my faith and I got excited about the book of Philippians and it, it started me, wow, what more can I read about the Bible, in the Bible? Now, the cool thing is we get to look today at how that church got started. Isn't that cool? So, we're going to look at the establishment of the church at Philippi. Now, we've got to go back a little bit to last week uh, on how we're going to get there. So let me just remind you what happened. Let me read this, just as a little bit of review, and then a couple of verses from this week. Let's pick it up in, in verse 6. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word of God in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Choaz, we put out to sea and sailed straight for (coughs) Simothrace, and the next day to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And there we stayed several days. Let's show you just the map here so you know kind of what's going on. They're up in this area, remember, and they come down to about here where number five is. And at that point in time, they're frustrated. They can't go this way. They can't go to the northeast because it says that they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. They wanted to go down here to Asia maybe to Ephesus area or somewhere over in here, and they couldn't. They didn't want to go back east. They already been there. Couldn't go this way. They'd get wet. So what they do is they go down to Troas. We said last week that um, in those times when God is silent, he's leading you. You just don't feel it. God is leading. He was leading Paul. Because once he gets to Troas, once he takes that step and says, you know what, I'm not hearing anything from God. In fact, I'm hearing just the opposite. Everything I'm trying is getting frustrated. Everything, I try to go here, and there's a roadblock. I try to go here, and there's a roadblock. I try to go here, and there's water. I can't go anywhere. I'll go there. And the, sometimes that's the attitude we need to take, too, is if you're at a point in, in your life where you're getting blocked, uh, and it's a good thing. I mean, 
Maybe God just wants you to pursue it. And when he, as soon as he gets to Troas, as soon as he steps out in faith like that, then he gets a message. And the message is, it's in the form of a, of a, uh, a vision, a dream. It's people, a man in Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And we're going to try to meet, who is this person about this week? Who is this man of Macedonia that we're going to meet? So, we're going to meet who this man of Macedonia is. We're going to meet three people. Three people that are going to get touched by Jesus Christ in Macedonia, in the, in the town of Philippi. And uh, uh, two of them are going to have uh, encounters where we know for sure they became part of the church. One, we don't know. We would assume so, but we're not sure. It's just three people. Three people started a church. A big one that even got a book of the Bible written about them. Ooh, would that be cool? A businesswoman. A... Uh, economically and spiritually exploited slave woman and a cop, a, a prison guard, guy who's tough to beat the band. He's, he, he's given special assignments where he handles the roughest prisoners. Those are the three people the church is going to get started with. So let's take, let's meet these three people. The first one Starts in verse 13, a businesswoman. On the, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer of purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her house. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. I just want you to make some observations here. It's kind of interesting. First thing here, in verse 13, it says, we expect, we went outside the city. So you go outside the city and there's this gate and they had gates then. So you go outside the gate and they went and they went to what they call a place of prayer it was. Paul normally, on the Sabbath, the first thing he would normally do is go to where? Synagogue. Good. He would go there. We've seen that throughout Acts. He would just go to the synagogue first because that's where religious people were, at least Jewish religious people. And he would go there and he would talk to them about Jesus and sooner or later they'd kick him out because he was talking about Christ. But he'd stay there as long as he could. Either there isn't a synagogue at Philippi or he wanted to try something different. Most scholars think that he, uh, there wasn't a, a synagogue. But yet there was this place outside the city where it's just kind of a gathering. And what he finds there is a place of prayer. And that's the place where people who were God-fearers, those people who didn't want to become fully Jewish, otherwise they would have started a synagogue, and they, they, but they, they liked some things about being Jewish, but they didn't want to go the whole way. They didn't want to go through all the customs. They didn't want to go through circumcision. They certainly didn't want to go through all the ethnic things that Jews had to do. So they said, ah, I don't want to do that. We'll just go and hang out at this place of prayer thing. And that's where they went. One of those going, one of those who was there, was, and by the way, when they get there, there's just a group, there's a group of women. One of them is this woman by the name of Lydia. And Lydia is a person who sells purple cloth, which is interesting. You know what? Why do you say that? That's weird. So it, doesn't she sell all colors? The reason why purple is important is it was a majestic color. It, 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 sometimes we still use the phrase royal purple. It was the official toga for Roman citizens. So if, if she made purple cloth, she was wealthy. So this is a very successful businesswoman who's sitting there. And it says that as she's sitting there, 
The phrase is, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Paul and Silas and Timothy and, and Luke, at least, we know those ones are along. They go there and they say, they, they meet these women there, this group of women, and it says, we sat down and we spoke with them. So they're having this conversation, maybe a little bit knowing Paul, maybe a little bit of a one-sided conversation, but I mean, he's a little forceful guy, but there was this conversation, this give and take going on, and it says, it doesn't say that Lydia was persuaded by Paul. We've seen that all throughout Acts. Sometimes it says that. This time it says, it says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So which is it? Which is it? Did, does, do people, or Lydia in this case, did she get persuaded of her own free will and own mind and then decide, yeah, it's what I want to do? Or did God, it says here, open her heart and then she responds? Which is it? What's the biblical answer? Both. <laughs> Ajith Fernando uh, I have his commentary on the book of Acts. He writes this about this. He says, The interplay between human initiative and divine quickening identifies our responsibility and reminds us that God is the one who ultimately gives the results. This dual perspective helps us avoid not only being lethargic about witness, but also feeling ourselves under a bondage of having to produce evangelistic results. Our call is to be faithful in going out and in using the best methods we know, God will look after the results. I know that's confusing. I know that's difficult. But that's the kind of God you worship. The kind of God who does move in people's lives. And he moved in Lydia's life and it starts the Philippian church. The Philippian church is born by this one woman. I think it's classic how the man in Macedonia, at least at first, turns out to be a group of women. And, it, and even one woman in particular, Lydia. And Lydia is Norwegian. <laughs> no, no, no. Look at the end of it. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And then it doesn't say, so we went. It doesn't say that. It says, she persuaded us. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You really, you have to stay the night. It's too late to leave. Oh, no, no, I can't. Oh, yes, you must. I wouldn't think of it. I wouldn't think of you leaving. It's much too late now to go. It's dangerous out there. And I just made another cup of coffee. And look at I got all these eggs and things we'll have in the bre for breakfast. <laughs> oh, you couldn't leave. I won't, I won't allow for it. That's what this one says here. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house and she persuades him to stay. She's probably got krumkaka there too. <laughs> Philippian church is born with Norwegian influence. <laughs> One person. Second person who's going to get impacted by Jesus at Philippi is a spiritually and economically explo exploited woman. She's a slave girl. It's another woman. Verse 16, once when we were going to the place of prayer, so they went back there. It's a neat place. We don't know how much time's going on here. It says once when they were doing it. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. 
She earned a great deal of money for, for her owners by fortune telling. So she's not making any money out of the deal. So it's kind of a double whammy. You got an evil spirit and you don't even get the money from it. Okay? So she's exploited on both cases. She's being spiritually exploited by the, by the devil. And she's being economically exploited because she's got this handicap or whatever you want to call it. The girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled, that word troubled means irked, uh, strongly irked, provoked, displeased, offended, pained. He's worked up about it. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Now, I'm, I'm amazed that Paul waited that long. I, I just know in Paul. Because if you remember the last time we saw him with someone who was, was kind of like this, it was in Acts chapter 13, if you remember this. He, it says they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And, and, and they were trying to talk to this governor of the region. And the governor was thinking about becoming a Christian. And, and it's amazing. And the guy is telling him, no, no, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And Paul turns one shot. I mean, this isn't like weeks of this happening. Just one time the guy says, don't do it, don't do it. Paul turns to him. Remember what he says? He says, you're a child of the devil. I just like to say that. Isn't that a cool thing to say? <laughs> you're a child of the devil. And an enemy of everything is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now this time he's talking to the guy. Do you notice who he's talking to this time? He's talking to the spirit this time. He recognizes that this girl is exploited by people and by the spiritual realm, by the devil. Doesn't, doesn't rip on her. He looks at the spirit. And he, the, the, the method that he uses is he turns around and he says, it doesn't, he doesn't say he shouted or did a certain dance or whatever. Did He just turns around and says... In the name of Jesus Christ, which means based on his authority and his power, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave. I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. It works. No, nothing tricky here. You don't have to read nine books on what to do when evil spirits. It just says, turn around. And on Jesus' authority and on Jesus' power, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. Now, one of the interesting things here that you're going to see in just a minute is what's the message that this evil spirit is saying? These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Hmm. That's actually a true statement. But it must have been in the delivery, you know? <laughs> These men are German, the Most High God, telling you the way to be saved. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I, I'm just thinking this, otherwise it would have been a, a good way for, you know, here comes the, the announcement. You know, she goes first. She says this, and then here we come. 
must have been a mockingness to it. Now, one of my favorite understatements is to say that God is a genius. Because God is a genius. I'm never, never, never uh, uh, satisfied with how little I understand of God's geniusness. Because every now and then in the Bible, I just go, oh my gosh, that's incredible. What you're going to see here is a thing that would look like Paul and Silas having a bad day, which ends up being the coolest story. Verse 19, when the owners of the slave girl, this is all to get us to person number three, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped publicly, and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, this is the, the guard now, uh, he put them in the inner cell, so like, it would be similar to solitary confinement now, like a really hard place to be, but obviously it wasn't solitary because there were two of them there, and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, if you're Paul and Silas, you got to be thinking, how does it get to this? How does it get to this? I'm just, I'm just going to this place of prayer. You know, I'm just I'm minding my own business. And there's this girl that keeps following me and mocking me. So you know what? I, I give her a little, I give her a little bling bling. And I just say, you know what? In the name of Jesus, get out of her. I'm helping you out. And now, now I'm here in prison. Yeah, what a bad day. And so your, your images of Paul and Silas just in the prison just going, this stinks. That's not what happens. These guys have a view that God knows what he's doing all the time, 24-7, not 23-7, 24-7. He knows what he's doing. These guys have a view that God knew what he's doing and that they've been called to this place in Philippi and that this whole thing is leading up to something. They don't know what yet. They have no idea. They don't have the benefit of seeing the end of the movie. They're, they're doing the movie. Look at how they handle verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Hello. Different worldview. They're just, okay, this is where we're supposed to be. We're doing everything we're supposed to be. We're in jail. I got an idea. Let's have a worship service. <laughs> and the other prisoners were listening to them. Of course they were. You don't have any choice when you're in, you know, inner cell there. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone, everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison, uh, the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Because he thought the prisoners had escaped. By the way, the reason for that is, if you were a guard and you were guarding someone, and you were told clearly to, to, to what, was, what was he told? He was told, uh, uh, watch these people, right? What was he told? He was told, um, carefully watch them. Guard them carefully, okay? And if they're, the next scene of the movie is they're outside in the, temp, you know, in, the, in, the, in the courtyard there, you didn't do your job, right? If you don't do your job, you're in big trouble. You're going to die a nasty death. 
He's thinking, I'm going to make this quick and easy. I'll take care of it. I'll do it myself. So he's going to kill himself. He's got this sword already, already uh, drawn. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Again, Paul's chains are free. But he says, whoa, I want to I meet this guy. He could take off. Do you get it? All the doors are open. The chains are gone. But he says, God, you're doing something here. And it must be for this nut who's got the sword towards his belly. <laughs> Don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before, trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I got a shiny dime here for the first person to give me this. Where in the world does he get that? Why in the world would a guy who's a tough cop in prison, where does he get the idea that there's some message of salvation, that he's not saved, that he's not going to heaven when he dies? Where does he hear that? Who said it? Slave girl. Huh? The girl girl, nah, nah, these are men who house high, tell you how to be saved. The jailer heard it. Oh, dude, they're now in my prison. And then when all this stuff happens, maybe he was even one of the nuts or, you know, one of the people that was, was ripping on him. But when, you know, when the earthquake thing happens and the door thing happens and the chains fall off happen and Paul stays happen, he says, whoa. Okay, that wasn't a sentence, but you know. Uh, whoa, there might be something to this. And in the genius of God, all that stuff, getting arrested, being thrown in jail, the earthquake, the, 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 the doors being open, that, that whole thing is to lead us to this one guy. Isn't that cool? Now, what goes on there? What must I do to be saved? And they replied, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. You do one thing. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him told them about Jesus, told them about his death on the cross, told them that you're a sinner just like everybody else in the world and that Jesus Christ died to take your sin. You can let him take it or you can have it. It's your choice. Jailer's not stupid. He says, you can let Jesus take it. They spoke the word Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of, of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them, another Norwegian. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. See the result there? result is joy happening. This guy, hours before, has the sharp end of Excalibur at his belly. And now he's just thrilled. Like Lydia, he brings them into their home and a second house church is born in Philippi. And, and that's it. That's the start of the church. That's the start. That's the establishment of the entire church uh, at, at Philippi where we get our book uh, Philippians which talks about being one of the best churches around. Paul and Silas then are released from prison. Verse 35. And they have to go this time through the authorities. They don't just walk out. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, probably thinking, this is, this is uh, we have to read a little bit here, the white space, but it, 
This probably was an unjust thing to have them that severely treated for what they did. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. Hmm? That is just so Paul. <laughs> you want me out? You come, you come. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. Now, there's a lot of things I love about the Bible. Sometimes it doesn't answer the questions. The question I have is, why don't you mention that when you're taking the beating? But they don't. I don't know why. Don't you think? By the way, we're Roman citizens. Stop! No. Somehow they knew this was the journey God had them on. They came to appease them and escorted them from prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. Now, it, it is a little bit interesting here, and I don't want to make too much of it, but a lot of people speculate that because of the word they there, instead of the word we, that possibly uh, Luke... Remember, we saw him join up last week, and Timothy stay in, in Philippi. It's quite possible that that happened. Two questions for you this morning as you ponder what God would have you do about this section. The first one. Do you see all of your life as an opportunity to ride your journey of faith? Do, do, you, do you see those... those uh, Acts uh, 16 verses 19 to 24, parts of your life as part of God's journey for your life. I, I admit it. That's the hardest thing for me to do. Because I got this trajectory and, that I'm on, and believe me, it involves the road of least amount of pain, and that's where I'm going, and God, this must be of you because everybody's happy. But God's plan for your life could often include public beating, being thrown in jail, being treated rottenly. And are you going to respond the way that Paul and Silas did? Did they understand that? I don't think so at that point in time. But they said, at that point in time, it was said that they were in prison, they were singing hymns and praying. Do you have that kind of perspective that God is so active in your life in every situation, every situation, he's taking you through it. Where when those hard things come, that that actually is part of God's plan to maybe bring you to a jailer. I don't know. I don't know what they, why? The second question this morning is, when you look at people around you, do you instantly think, oh, you know what? They're too successful. They wouldn't be interested. Or you know what? They're just too evil. There's something working in them. They're just evil. Or you know what? They're just a tough guy. They're just a tough guy. I'm from the Iron Range. We have a lot of tough guys up in the Iron Range. There's the tough guy. They wouldn't be impacted by the message of Jesus. The Philippian church is founded on a businesswoman who is very successful, 
on a slave girl who was spiritually and economically exploited and on a tough guy guard in a prison. Let's pray together. God, I'm even in saying these words, these two questions, uh, boy, I don't measure up on these questions. When, when tough things happen, God, I'm, I'm the first one to just think that the world's in chaos, that for whatever reason you've taken five, ten minutes off. And, and I don't just acknowledge it. You're in control. I do that. God, I know there... Just because I pray through the back of the cards, on, on the communication cards, I, I know that in this room at any point in time, about 20% of us are going through some really hard things, really hard things, whether it's medical or relational or career-wise or a spiritual point of dryness or whatever it may be. There, I know that in this room right now, if, if it's a typical week, that at least 20% of us are going through a very, very difficult time. It could feel a lot like this prison. God, would you, I don't know, by your spirit, would you cause us to sing and praise you? Would you cause us to pray? Would you cause us to be people who thank you, even in the rotten circumstances, knowing, God, that you are in control and that you're doing this for a purpose, that the journey of faith is one that you take us on, and it's not just mindless. You are a genius. We can trust you. God, and also as I walk through life, I see people that I think are a million miles away from the cross. And yet I look back on my own journey as a freshman at the University of Minnesota, I was a million miles away. And it didn't stop somebody from telling me the good news about Christ. So God, would we not judge people like that? You love, all, you love them all. Wherever, the, wherever we're at, you, you love us all. And so God, would we not, would we look at people the way you look at people? God, I pray for us this week that we would be people who want to be on fire. This week we would, we would really allow you to set our hearts on fire so that others would catch, uh, come and watch us burn and, and we would be spreading grass seed. We wouldn't just say, oh, I got that figured out. We would actually be people who are actively taking steps of faith this week. We ask in Jesus' name.